was the night before Christmas, and all through the web, not a single bot was stirring, except four podcasters chatting about Violet Night. Kenyatta, Mark, Donald Smith, and I discussed a different kind of Santa Claus for your holiday listening. On Christmas Eve, at a massive palatial estate in Greenwich, Connecticut, the ultra-wealthy Lightstone family gathered for the usual tradition of aggravating each other while under the same roof until mercenaries stormed the party demanding $300 million in war funding. The only one standing in their way is a downtrodden St. Nick and the resourcefulness of a little girl trapped on the premises. Join us for this seasonal treat, welcoming Donald Smith to the Script to Screen team. Merry Christmas, have a happy holidays, and a joyous new year. Remember, you can join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for a Screenwriters Virtual Forum. Peer reviewing scripts, giving feedback on fellow writers' work while networking with them as well. Please check out the links on our anchor.fm profile to follow us online, donate, or leave us a nice message to let us know how we're doing. We hope to see you at one of these virtual forums. Until then, enjoy the podcast. Okay, so let's get things started with a warm, enthusiastic welcome to screenwriters, aspiring writers, film lovers, and everyone in between to this latest episode of Script to Screen, the Boston Screenwriters Group podcast, hosted by myself, J.C. Stewart, Kenyatta Hoskins, Mark Liddell, and joining us today is... Donald Smith. All right, there we go. But uh, where we come in and give screenwriter, filmmaker, and film lovers perspectives on movies, shows, and various other forms of media. Whenever you're giving us a listen, morning, noon, or night, we hope to be a great part of your listening cues and engage with you in these in-depth discussions on film, TV, streaming, or whatever hell else we like to share our thoughts on. So I'll start out with the intros. I have been a co-organizer of the Boston Screenwriters Group for seven years, going on eight years, helping out the founder, Deborah Sharif, with the meetups, where we help any level of experienced screenwriter period the screenplay with other members. I'm also a local film maker on the lower end of budgets, but I'm always game for coming up with movie ideas and ready to film. Now, with all that settled, I'll pass it off to my core organizer and good friend, Kenyatta. Hey, good morning. Good Sunday morning to everyone. But uh, my name is Kenyatta Hoskins. I am the co-organizer along with uh, my buddy here. And uh, I've been a co-organizer for five years, been a member for over three years. And um, I'm happy to be here and uh, talk about films. And tonight we're going to Today we're going to talk about Violet, Violet Night. And hey, I'd like to pass it. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. sorry. I thought you were done. Oh, well, I, no, no. No, I was going to say I'll pass it on to Mark. Hey, everybody. It's Mark Lydell, uh, longtime Boston educator, uh, lover of film. Um, again, the topic this evening, this morning, wherever you are, whatever time you're listening to this, is Violent Night. Looking forward to getting into that. But um, we have one more person joining us this week. I'll allow him to introduce himself. Don Key, are you ready? Yes, sir. All righty. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, Donald Smith, also known as Don Q Citizen. Consider myself a just your ordinary average citizen and movie lover. I look forward to discussing today's movie, A Violent Night. Absolutely. That he's been a little bit modest because I know he has a degree in film or film production or whatever, and he's done some some work. So don't feel shy about uh, plugging yourself in, in that way, uh, Donald. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. You know, I've, I put some of that on the shelf to uh, become an educator. Um, so ironically, I'm teaching math. I'm not teaching screenwriting or filmmaking. And uh, we just started a news crew um, maybe a week ago. So we're just getting that off the ground. So that'll probably whet my appetite for, um, you know, it's a different genre, so to speak, but it still has, you know, relative to production. So, Well, excellent. That's all great. Yeah. And thank you, uh, Don, for joining us. And uh, yeah, as has been said by the other panelists, uh, you know, we are covering, um, you know, uh, 
a la sort of um, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, Bad Santa, you know, uh, all the other sort of um, different interpretations of uh, Saint Nick. We are covering Violet Night. And uh, yeah, this uh, sort of uh, kind of snuck up on the radar, even though it is, you know, in season and everything it kind of snuck up. But uh uh, sort of a smaller production that uh, didn't get a ton of buzz, uh, but it does star uh, uh, Stranger Things uh, standout uh, David Harbour um, as St. Nick and uh, def- a different type of St. Nick, I should say. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, um, uh, sort of... Uh, uh, the uh the traditional sense of uh, you know the, the santa claus that uh, uh rides around in a sleigh powered by reindeer uh you know giving uh, sharing uh providing cheer and goodwill towards old men uh, on uh, christmas eve uh this is a very different sort of interpretation this is uh sort of in the and i should have also said uh, the other movie that this is quite reminiscent of uh, die hard <laughs> this is uh, uh this is your die hard santa you know this is uh um and he as he takes on sort of the the, the uh, baddies in this one but uh yeah i, I mean does we as we usually do we like to start off with sort of general thoughts on the uh on the piece on the work uh you know try not to uh spoil it too too much for you but uh, does anyone want to get us start us off on that end sure um <clears throat> it's funny because i i had seen promos for this movie and wasn't quite sure if I'd check it out or not. I, I do have this kind of plan where I can see three movies a month for one price and just trying to find something to watch. And I hadn't been to the movies in a bit. So I went to see it and I was pleasantly uh, uh, surprised. Um, you kind of mentioned uh, something that, that that's certainly apparent in this movie, which is it, it borrows from Die Hard. And I think it also borrows from another um, movie as well. I don't know if you guys, uh, thought about Home Alone. They, they referenced Home Alone um, in this movie. Um, the very first scene where the, the young child, I guess you'd say the Kevin of this movie, um, young girl, um, the very first line that she's seen Home Alone, just, just watched it or whatever. So um, between that and the Die Hard references, they definitely kind of have a mashup here of Die Hard and Home Alone, which was a lot of fun. Um, it's one of those movies that because of the violence and maybe because the language is not for kids, but I think if they had done a little bit with the, the, the language and maybe muted the violence a little bit, maybe it could be fun for the family, but um, probably not the thing you want to take your, your five-year-old to see or anything like that. But, but uh, nevertheless, I had a lot of fun with this. I was not expecting it. Um, and that's just my, my first impression was that, wow, um, from the very beginning, they started off with an irreverent view of Santa um, similar to, to, to Bad Santa in that regard, where he's kind of a jaded alcoholic or, or uh, one who finds himself at the bar. Um, but yeah, my first impressions were, wow, we're, we're in for a wild ride. This is the first depiction I saw of Santa on the screen. I'll jump in yeah. here. Um, I'm sorry, Kenyatta. No, no, I'll, no, I'll ahead, jump in there if I can. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I felt the exact same way in the sense that it snuck, this movie snuck up on me. I watched one trailer and that was just by happenstance. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't go out seeking the trailer and I thought to myself, you know, didn't really get a feel for the genre. I thought it was like going to be a horror, <laughs> a horror movie. And uh, it was one of those where my wife, my 16 year old, soon to be 17 year old son. So it's age appropriate. If your child is, you know, 16, 17 ish, I wouldn't take 
I echo what Mark said. I wouldn't, it's not for small children. Um, some takeaways, non-spoiler, was how entertaining the movie was. I totally didn't expect it to, to engage me um, to the level that it did. Uh, the time flew by. You know, there's some movies, I don't know if you guys all been there, and you start looking at your, you start looking at your watch, you know, just time check, or, or I've, I've even gone so far as to search IMDb to see how long the movie is while I'm watching the movie, just to kind of get a sense of when it's going to be over. This movie flew by. Um, I can't recall not one time looking at my watch. Um, I know when we first mentioned this movie off air, uh, there were some chuckles. You guys were, were mentioning the movie, and that's exactly the, the response that it elicited. You know, I walked out of that movie with a smile on my face just from the, the entertainment value and the laughter that I received. Yeah, and that's one thing about the movie is, is it was yeah it was entertaining, but it was very funny. There was a lot of times I laughed in, in, during this movie, and um, and just you know, Mark mentioned about uh, Die Hard, and definitely they weren't subtle about the Home Alone thing. So they were, and it was very inventive how they did the Home Alone thing. It was just a whole it was creative how they did the whole movie in fact and I, I didn't know what to expect um i can't remember i saw the trailer first or the uh poster i think i remember the poster more than i remember the trailer i i, I can't I, to be honest with you i don't know if i even seen the trailer but i do remember the movie poster and i thought i also thought it was gonna be a horror movie because i'm thinking like you know, Black Christmas or, uh, you know, Krampus or something like that, right? And um, what made me want to see it, what what, what took me over the edge, I saw like a review from, um, you know, uh, I think it was Chris Duckman or something like that. And uh, I was like, I was all in because I didn't listen to, I didn't hear the whole review. It's just, he's just one sentence he said, it's like, oh my God, this is violent. So I said, let me, and he, he said, well, smile on his face. I said, okay. I, t- I took the review off. I said, I'm, I'm in. So sure enough, um, you know, I, I, t- I took my wife. I, I told her too. I was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to take you to movie. I'm not even going to tell you what we're going to go see. She's laughing right now. <laughs> right. So we get to, we get to the um, IMAX theater and, and she's trying to look, I said, don't cheat. Don't look at the, uh, title of the movie and everything, right? So we get in there, and after like after everything was said and done, even she liked the movie. So I was like, you know, usually she doesn't like violent movies, but um, that says something for her to be entertained by that movie. So that just speaks to, um, you know, the yeah, you know, the movie. They they did a good job. So, um, and. You know, the guy from Stranger Things, the actor from Stranger Things was just, it was a perfect casting in, in that regard. Um, he did a very, very good job. And the story is just creative. And um, there was this, this guy, uh, John, John Truby. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's uh, he writes books on uh, screenwriting and everything. And he just came out with a, a a book called Genres, where he talks about different genres. And he has a couple of masterclasses on YouTube, and he talks about 
how uh, people nowadays, the trend is audiences want um, movies that are kind of like these mashups. And I'm pretty sure if he, if this movie came out before the book came out, it would have been in that book because he talks about different movies that are successful and why they're successful. And uh, some of the best movies have those mashups. And uh, this is kind of like, a, this movie is a masterclass on mashing up different genres. The action, the uh, diehards and the Home Alones and probably some other stuff that we're not even thinking about right now. So yeah, it was it was very entertaining. Right. Uh, so this is a well, this is a movie that uh, whether you're seeing sort of like the posters or any sort of promotional material, trailers, whatnot, uh, you can just imagine the pitch meeting, uh, you know, with the um, that the producers brought to whatever studio, like uh, eventually, like uh, put this out. Okay, we're gonna have uh, it's Christmas Eve. We're gonna have Saint Nick, but instead of you know just your regular humdrum sort of uh, ho 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 sort of stuff, uh, we're gonna do uh if uh you know santa claus is more in the vein of um john mcclain rather than uh uh you know the um red-nosed and uh you know um uh, uh, uh filling everyone's uh stockings with gifts and spreading uh goodwill and cheer uh so yeah i mean yeah very inter- this is a very entertaining uh movie yeah it's not just you know a, a violent shoot 'em up there's uh there's a lot of humor going around um it's uh there's um you know, there's there's a lot of uh, it's not just and also it's uh, well, I guess that's oh, that's a sort of spoiler. So I'll, I'll skip. I'll, I'll refrain from that. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, this is sort of, uh, you know, your uh, one sentence sort of pitch. Uh, if you were in sort of a big studio meeting, uh, you know, uh Santa Claus, you know, takes on the mercenaries on Christmas Eve, uh, you know, and uh, does so in a uh, some gruesome fashion. Uh, but um, yeah, this uh, this this worked out far better than probably you know the, you would hear. This is from the uh, uh, director's uh, Tommy Ricola. Uh, some maybe he was he did sort of the the Dead Snow movies, you know the. Um, uh, undead zombie Nazis who rise up and attack, uh, you know, the unsuspecting sort of populace. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, sort of in the same vein of taking, you know, um, a silly, uh, you know, what could be a very, you know, silly premise, but, uh, you know, taking it to the nth degree. Uh, and, uh, you know, yeah, if, uh, maybe, uh, if you have really small kids, <laughs> family, not, not one to see as a group watch, but, uh, if you have older, all the kids are, you know, kids are more, you know, mature. Yeah, definitely something that you could take uh, the whole family to. Hey, Mark, real quick, two points, because uh, Kiata said something that I wanted to echo for your listeners. Um, I've had my wife with me also. And you, I don't know. I don't know if everybody has this experience. My wife has taken me to movies at times where I consider those movies maybe chick flicks. And I anticipate not liking it or enjoying it as much as she would. And vice versa. This is one of those situations where she she enjoyed this movie as much as I did. So if there's, you know, listeners out there that are wondering, you know, especially male listeners that maybe have their significant others and are thinking about leaving her at home, you know, quite possibly this is one that she would enjoy, too. And then I just wanted to say something real quick, too, uh, about J.C.'s point. Um, I wish I had a listen more closely to some parts of the dialogue in the movie. And this is for a couple of characters 
uh, very important character. I, I wish I had to listen more closely because there's some foreshadowing that goes on and I wasn't able to get the full benefit of, um, of those payoffs because I was not really listening with a fine tooth comb. So that's just a suggestion for uh, people that are maybe thinking about watching this movie. You know, the dialogue, there's a, some, some dialogue parts, even though this movie is funny, violent, you know, there is some layers to it. And then someone took great care to craft a, 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 a thorough story, story also. I'm sorry, Mark. No, no, I was going to say, also to piggyback off of uh, Kenyatta's talk about a mashup, and I've not read that uh, piece you're talking about, the book you're talking about in terms of, um, I guess, the, the, the interest in mashups now, but I, I suspect part of the excitement around these mashups or the, the clamoring for mashups is that so much of what's out there in theaters now is just kind of paint by numbers. And with a mashup, you can have paint by numbers, but the question is, when you're at a, a critical juncture of the movie, are you going to take the comedy route or the action movie route or horror route, whatever you know, mashup you've got going on there? So you can, in some ways, maintain um, convention and formula. But if you've got a mashup of different styles in a movie, it kind of makes it a little bit less predictable because you don't know which routes, which avenue they're going to take in terms of uh, what's going to happen at a critical point or period. Uh, whereas we got a, just one, you know, it's, it's only a horror movie or only an action movie, only a comedy movie. You pretty much know what the, the standard beats are and you can make it much more predictable. It's almost like they say uh, now with a lot of music, um, it, you just can't have like one beat. You gotta have, they, sometimes they shift, they, they can go through various changes in terms of the beats in music because it's less predictable. And they're saying now music that's, that's less predictable is in, in vogue right now. So I think movies have kind of followed the same path of making it less predictable by mashing up different styles. Yeah, and we, like, it can't be easy to, um, you know, to fuse together different, because every genre, and people don't realize too, as a screenwriter, right? It's one thing to, um, you know, to write a screenplay, right? But it's another thing where you're taking on different genres. Like, if, for example, if you're into horror, say horror films have certain certain conventions to it, certain audience expectations. The comedy, you know, completely different genre has its own, so each genre has its own conventions. So um, sometimes some conventions do not, you know, they contradict, they contradict a, a convention from another genre. And to do so, if you could, if you're able to match them all together, uh, it depends, like you could, let's say horror and comedy. And matter if you throw another one in there, because think about even Avatar 2 that's in the movie theaters. Uh, Avatar, the first one, people was like Dances with Wolves and I forgot what else was. It had a little bit Aliens in there and uh, so does the second one. So kind of like a military thing going on. So, um, yeah, and, and, I, and I agree with you. It makes it less you know, predictable because you don't know what route they're going to go. And I, and I agree with that. And um, I think, and plus it makes this, you know, more a dense story to it. And I think people want that, um, that, that story dense. But it's also, you can, it can also be simple as well. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't have to be super complicated, but the, the mashup is to, to, to master that, 
you can you can have a successful film on your hands. All right. Is that all for general thoughts? Do we want to uh, really dive into this one? I think so. Sure. All right. So uh, let's uh, sort of uh, lay down the tale. Um, so we start off on uh, Christmas Eve, uh, very appropriately so, but uh, not you know, uh, you know, in the you know, with a warm fire brewing and the, the you know the eggnog and or hot cocoa uh, being. Uh, uh, being shared around. Uh, this is in a bar in uh, England, and uh, you know we have you know uh, we have sort of a, a, a someone in a Santa Claus outfit that w- at least we were uh, led to believe initially. You know, sort of like those uh, corner store sort of Santas who uh, uh, you know ring the bell for the Salvation Army or any or any other sort of uh, charities for uh, you know the change that uh, you know hopefully passersby uh, donate, but. Um, uh, so this is a very Don Trouden uh, sort of uh, Santa Claus uh, sort of giving sort of the spiel about, uh, you know, how children are much more cynical now and they're, uh, you know, the world is much more cynical than, uh, you know, he's, you know, than he's ever be used to. Um, and uh, there, and he, you know, it's, uh, yeah, again, like I said, at the top sort of in the vein of bad Santa, sort of like this uh, world weary, uh, soul that's, uh, you know, tries to inhabit this, uh, you know, fixture of the holiday season, you know, spreading goodwill and cheer, uh, making the uh, kids happy with, uh, gifts and presents. And, uh, but, uh, that's not the case with, uh, the, uh, the David Harvard's version. And, um, yeah, then we find out very quickly after sort of, uh, that, uh, uh, no, this is not just sort of like your, um, um, you know, your uh, rent to Santa's that, uh, uh, prop up, uh, during the season. It's, uh, the real deal. It's the real McCoy. It's, uh, actual, uh, uh, Santa Claus. And, um, you know, he wishes off into the night, uh, with the reindeer. Uh, so yeah, I just, uh, you know, something, I guess a little bit, uh, um, you know, that's, that's been lost the last few years. It's a, it's a great sort of a cold open. Um, you know, a, a lot of times movies, you know, don't even have, you know, title sequences anymore. And uh, yeah, this is, a, you know, we could jump right into things and, you know, that's appropriate, I guess, for a lot of sort of movies these days, uh, you know, especially ones that, you know, avatar length that are, that are you know, run three to four hours. Uh, let's just get right into things. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's nice to see these sort of holdbacks uh, where uh, that we got, uh, I think we do get a t- sort of the titles over um, after the cold open. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just nice to have sort of, uh, uh, intro, if you will, to this, you know, uh, this world, uh, that, um, is being presented to us and, uh, and you know, right off the bat, you know, you just know that, uh, David Harbour is going to kill this, <laughs> kill in this role, both, uh, figuratively and, uh, uh, metaphorically with, uh, uh, he, he's a great performer and, you know, whether you've seen him from stranger things or many other sort of his movie roles, um, uh, yeah, and it's a yeah, as someone pointed out, yeah, perfect casting. Once you put the beard on him and the and the Santa suit, uh, yeah, he's he, yeah, he's he's pretty much uh, just nails it uh, off the bat. So yeah, just a uh, yeah, a great sort of uh, start to things. Um, and then we get sort of a intro to the uh, the um, the family that we're going to spend a lot of time with uh, in this one. The um, uh, I forget. I forget the family name. Uh, uh, Lightstone. That's right. The Lightstone family in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, they have this palatial estate that they uh, 
that the, I, I thought this was going to delve into something that's uh, you know sort of been in vogue these days. But uh, I thought this was going to lean much more into an eat the rich sort of uh, so-called uh, narrative. But uh, we get sort of like the family gathering from hell uh, with a uh, very um, um, and, and it's you know run by uh, it's it's nice to see uh, Beverly D'Angelo in a in a role. I didn't recognize her. I was trying to place the voice and the uh, in the face, but uh, it, uh, it's good to see her like sort of crop up again, and sort of as the matriarch of this uh, just family from hell that's uh, way way over 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 rich and overprivileged uh, sort of. Uh, but um, uh, but we uh, zone in and sort of. Um, uh, the in-laws to this, uh, you know, the, um, the people that, uh, you know, that haven't lived this style, uh, live this lifestyle, you know, they're just being sort of, um, uh, married into it. Uh, we get, uh, uh, Linda and Trudy, uh, you know, played by, uh, Alex Lauder and, uh, uh Leah Brady. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I was trying to figure out a good way to, uh, but uh, yeah, but, but sort of uh, things go, you know, wrong, not in the sort of, uh, you know, traditional, you know, holiday gatherings, you know, when, but a uh, group of uh, mercenaries led by uh, John Leguizamo show up and uh, take out the uh, security and staffing and, uh, you know, a la, again, a la die hard. Uh, but, um, you know, thankfully St. Nick is, it was already on the, uh, was already on the, on the uh, premises in order to sort of, uh, uh, be the, um, be the guardian that, uh, uh you know, this, um, this family, especially, uh, uh, Trudy's, uh, sort of guardian, uh, for the night. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, if anybody wants to yeah, sort of, uh, uh, jump off of that. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that, of course, you know, you talked about casting before. I think there was a little um, joke, not a joke, but just a, a nod uh, to previous, another previous uh, Christmas movie. Um, Beverly, Beverly D'Angelo, of course, was alongside Chevy Chase in Christmas Vacation. So it's also the matriarch in that movie and the matriarch in this one. Um, I don't know, maybe she remarried and it became uh, a light zone. I don't know. But um, so that, that was interesting. But one thing I will say, because you talked about Santa being there on the premises to kind of um, be a hero of sorts in, in this place, but I don't want to give up too much right now. But um, what was unclear to me when I watched it was that Santa was actually in their home at that time. Right. I remember watching and wondering, okay, where is Santa? Is Santa in their home? Is he, it could have been and it should have been, in my opinion, uh, either a landmark or something in the house that Santa would have passed by. We told you, okay, he's there with them. Because all of a sudden he, he, he hops into action because he hears things going on, you know, in the house. So he tries to, you know, first he's a reluctant hero. He tries to leave. Um, um, that's, again, going against Santa being this, this good guy. He's like, get that. I'm out of here. He tries to escape. He can't. Um, I'm giving way too much, I guess, but um, yeah, it wasn't apparent to me that he was there. They could have done more around letting the audience know, in my opinion, that he was in the same location or in this palatial home mansion, and there was nothing to suggest that he was in their house. But I think for some reason they expected us to know that. Um, that's what I kind of it's the feeling I had is they expected us to know he was inside the same house when it was not obvious to me, at least until he jumped into action. So that's one little flaw I saw in the early going. Yeah, can I, I was, I was going to speak to that too. I, I felt the exact same way uh, you did, Mark, with that moment. 
But then this is what I what I what I'm thinking, and 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 this film may deserve a re- rewatch, you know, only because I want to give the filmmakers and the screenwriter or writers more credit because I'm wondering if there were any visual cues that we may have missed, like 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 having only seen it one time, I, w- I wish I could go back to the sequence of his arrival to their home, and when he, um, you know, ended up in the, I don't know if that was like a family room, a den or, or, or where, you know, whatever room he ended up in, you know, I almost want to, want to, want to believe that there was something we might have missed to clue us to the fact that he was there at, you know, and when he got there, like the moment that he got there, 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 there may have been something that, that on a rewatch, a detail we might've missed. I know, uh, I want to go back to, uh, something know the theme that was laid out at the very beginning because i can relate to it as far as i'm gonna just say the the concept of innocence lost you know people that are you know my age you know have watched the changes of society can very much identify with with this particular santa's viewpoint um because we're seeing certain things at least from our point of view that you know resonate when you watch this movie resonate with you um, so I can relate to it from that point. So I want to give the, I want to give the filmmakers and screenwriters maybe some credit that, you know, it could be undeserved, but again, that, this is, you know, why this film might, might need a rewatch in order to, you know, get details both in dialogue and in visuals. Well, personally, I remember him landing on the roof and because um, one of the reindeer, they uh, actually took, a dump on the roof and he had stepped in it and he had chastised um, I forgot which reindeer it was and then he went inside the house I, I do remember that um, and, and he ate the cookie that uh, the little girl made and um, that's the clue right there Kiana yeah. that's it yep. yeah. he ate the yeah. cookie she made that she made and then he started drinking the alcohol and all that kind of stuff like that there. And um, I just want to throw out there too, like I remember hearing a conversation recently. I heard this conversation before, but uh, so I, this is the second time I heard this conversation about the difference between, for example, Superman and Batman and how a lot of people consider Superman boring is because he's just so perfect. His only weakness is kryptonite, which is very rare thing. You could, who's going to come across kryptonite, which is going to be very rare. And he's so powerful. But Batman has so many flaws that um, I guess people can, he's more relatable compared to Superman. So from now on, after I heard that conversation, I'm looking at this film and this guy, he's just... Um, you know, he's all the flaws and thing. You know, he he, he drinks. He's kind of like he takes the whole image of that perfect image because, like, Santa Claus is kind of like, you know, Superman is like you have this perfect image. You know, everything's all good and and he has no flaws and you know, so 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 now he kind of gives kind of like those Batman flaws, you know, so to speak. Yeah, so you know, he's got some trauma that he's you know, deep-seated in him. And I think that kind of, like, uh, makes him... Well, it's kind of like... If, if you could compare him to a super, superhero, he would be more Batman than Superman. 
because he does, um, even though he has some skills, he has skills fighting. He has, you know, his from, you know, historically, you know, it comes from his background as he was actually, uh, I guess you would call Viking warrior at, at some point. But at the same time, you know, he's kind of like, I don't know how long he's been alive. So he's not quite human. So it's like, he has that demigod, you know, uh, persona to him in terms of, you know, uh, 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 his length of life. And, you know, he does have some strength to him. But it's, you know, because he's dealing with some personal issues, it doesn't come out until, you know, like somebody said, he's a reluctant, a reluctant hero. And I think people, people can relate to that. It's like, um, people want to do the right thing. Right. But it's not easy to do the right thing. You know what I mean? The first thing it was like, man, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deal with this, but it's like, at the same time, he sees a girl, you know, he's his family's in peril. So it's like, you know, some I have to do what I have to do, you know, regardless of, you know, fearful or what what have you. Sometimes, you know, kind of like that reluctant here. I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know what I mean? Because it's not easy, you know, doing what he did. And uh, in terms of the matriarch, right, I just kind of want to, you know, respond to that. She was amazing, and and, and and like when in terms of turning like certain images on her on the head, you know what I mean. Um, you think about the matriarch, you think about motherly, so and so forth. She was just so, um, she was cursing, and and it's, it's so they they kind of you know gave you a little bit different flavors than what you you're used to. You know, because usually in these Christmas Christmas movies, you know, the mother's like, you know, um, warm and fuzzy and motherly and, you know, want to cuddly and, you know, want to, but she is totally the opposite. She's greedy. She's greedy. She's very hungry. She's power hungry. She's, you know what I mean? So, um, and, and, I, and I think it works in this film. So, and and uh, you kind of you kind of could appreciate that that uh, you're getting because like we're always coming out with Christmas movies. I mean, if you want warm and fuzzy Christmas movies, that is out there. But, but this was kind of like a wonderful surprise because it kind of breaks from the norm a little bit and gives you a little bit something different. Yeah. So, uh, Kenyatta, yeah, we, we talk a lot about in whenever we do our screenwriting sort of, uh, forums, you know, whenever we're reviewing peer reviewing scripts, we talk about, uh, the call to action, uh, you know, uh, you know, that, that sort of a phrase that, um, basically just means, you know, why now, you know, why now, you know, after, you know, uh, after the, you know, we get sort of like the very cynical Santa Claus, you know, is going on about, uh, you know, kids only want video games. They're only, you know, staring at the screens uh, and whatnot. And then, uh, you know, uh, he becomes uh, the reluctant hero, as as we've pointed out, uh, you know, and it's uh, we always uh, 
uh, and if we were, you know, sort of, I don't know if we, if this screenplay was uh, brought to us, you know, we would uh, always point out what is the call to action here and here. Yeah. It's um, you know, it, it's, it's the, tr- you know, we, we talk about how untraditional this movie is, but it does go on sort of uh, uh, play on a trope of, you know, it matters that you believe in Santa Claus in order to, uh, you know, make sure that he's, uh, he's alive and well, or that, um, you know, that he is sort of the spirit of Christmas. Uh, and here it's, uh, you know, uh, Trudy be, you know, uh, uh, you know, asking not for, you know, a, a doll or, you know, video game or anything, you know, anything material, uh, for the, for a Christmas rest. She just wants to, you know, see her parents, you know, stay together. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's uh, it's a very heartwarming sort of a gesture and it sort of uh, is the call to action for St. Nick in this one. Uh, you know, I'm not just going to uh, go about my merry way. I'm just, I'm going to, you know, take on the, the thugs that are uh, uh, that are trying to um, they're trying to extort, you know, I think it was hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in uh money that was supposed to go to the, you know, the Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern, uh, you know, wars, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you know, it's an, as we've pointed out, yeah, this is a very irreverent take on, you know, sort of, uh, both, uh, you know, St. Nick and the, you know, the the Christmas time, uh, you know, but, uh, at the same time, it does have sort of your very traditional sort of idea that, uh, you know, it takes a, you know, a child's, you know, belief in order to really make something, uh, you know, in order to uh, really make something happen or to make, you know, make magic happen. And in this case, yeah, they definitely present that well. Okay. But yeah, with all the sort of, um, that's sort of the setup to everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, so then we get into the real sort of, uh, blood and guts of this and then, uh, yeah. And when, you know, the shots start firing, man, they really start firing. Um, so this, yeah, when we uh, get into the home invasion aspect uh, of this, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the blood and guts start flying uh, pretty uh, free and easy. And um, we get, uh, yeah, we, we get this sort of uh, team of mercenaries led by uh, John Leguizamo. And um, they're, um, they're trying to, uh, they're trying to, as I said, uh, previously, they're trying to extort, uh, you know, something hundreds of millions of dollars from, uh, you know, money that was uh, used that was supposed to be used for, you know, different purposes, but uh, uh, held by this family. And yeah, I mean, again, uh, we, we we keep reiterating this. It's uh, you know they they play on the diehard uh, sort of uh, homages or uh, or homage very well, uh, very free and easy. But uh, yeah, so Mark, yeah, did so you want? Yeah. Funny. Yeah, you, you mentioned Die Hard because I was expecting, I was fully expecting after his first kill, he'd have written on the guy's clothing. Ha ha ha! Oh, 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 oh I have a machine gun too, like like, like John McClane did. You were going Die Hard. Is this very reminiscent of that? And they even, you know, um, kind of again uh, reference Die Hard with Santa in being in peril, looking for a weapon, reaching into his sack and, and pulling out a Die Hard DVD. He says, oh, Die Hard on DVD. Um, so for those who might not have the same frame of reference, and believe it or not, Die Hard is a movie that's over 30 years old now. Although there have been many, you know, um, um, sequels and then a lot of imitators. Um, there, there might be some folk who are in their teen years who might be seeing this movie who might not immediately pick up on the Die Hard piece. I know it's hard. I find it hard to believe it. I'm talking to my students about other stuff. 
the, 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 the cultural references that I have, the frame of reference that I have, obviously is different than a teenager. So for, for those who not, know, know Die Hard and the Die Hard movies, it's obvious. For others, I guess they threw that line in there. Uh, it's, it's humorous for those who've seen Die Hard and for those who don't, they're drawing that, that connection uh, to it. So again, that's an, another piece of you know making a, a, an action movie um, into a comedy or meshing those two aspects of it that worked really well. Um, something you would not necessarily expect when it's at the height of at this point um, for him, uh, the, the height of terror, he's kind of confined to a space um, with this baddie coming to get him, a violent individual, he has no weapons, he pulls out a diehard movie, <laughs> he's searching for uh, a weapon to fend him off with. So I thought that was really uh, interesting and a cute way of uh, tying in uh, more explicitly uh, the diehard movie. And, and, and yeah. another, yeah, another thing, too, um, it's been a long debate whether or not that Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not, right? Especially on here. Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and I thought that was ironic because it's like, here is a, a movie that draws on Die Hard and this the, the movie that that's doing that is no, it's unquestionably a Christmas movie. So you can't, you know, it's like okay, we're copying Die Hard, and it's a debate whether it's a Christmas movie or not, and we're definitely Christmas movie. So there's no debate there. Well, uh, well, one thing this is to play on that. I know Don too wanted to say something, but just yesterday or two days ago, the cinematographer for Die Hard came out and said, "Once and for all, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie." Now he's that's his take on it. He was, of course intimately involved in making this movie. Um, however, I guess once it's out there, the audience will determine whether it is or not, <laughs> I guess. But enough people, the critical mass of folks say it's a Christmas movie, I guess it is. In my book, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So take that, John Devon. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, um, the movie, uh, this Violent Night movie also um, incorporated a little bit of a Die Hard sequel, Die Hard 2. Um, there's, you know, the, the mercenary characters, but then there's the, uh, what is it, like the strike team that um, Beverly D'Angelo's um, hired, you know, her, her private security team. And I believe, you know, it's been a minute since I've since I watched Die Hard 2, um, that it takes place outdoors. Uh, there's some outdoor scenes, even though it's at an airport, there's some outdoor scenes. And there are, you know, it's, it's in the winter, it's snow, there's some snowmobile action there's some dudes in in um in winter winter gear uh with automated weapons so when that whole little sequence in this film started you know transpiring i immediately thought of the die hard 2 sequel and i don't know if that's intentional or me just kind of you know just drawing that parallel on my own but you know i immediately thought of the die hard uh sequel yeah, I, 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 yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's, that's I think, that, I think that was a very good catch, and and, and don't be surprised if the screenwriters are, are, you know, did that purposely because even the title "Violent Night" is a play on "Silent Night." You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, you know, uh, they do like little subtle things here and there. Some things not so subtle, but uh, don't be surprised if that's what they drew on it was was Die Hard too. Yeah, that makes the film all that much more enjoyable too. By the way, 
and, and another thing too, if you think about the four hundred million dollars that's in the safe, she stole that money, right? And then the Mercedes are trying to steal the money, and then her son stole the money. So it's like <laughs> you got so many. So that's like three times this 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 money is trying to go around and end up burning it. I don't think they burnt all of it, but they, I don't know how much of they they burnt. But after all this, everybody going after all this money, you know, and then just to get burnt at the end to save Santa's life. Well, I mean, I'm sure we can endlessly de- we endlessly debated about uh, you know Die Hard being in the Christmas movie canon. Uh, you know, previously I believe last year. So uh, maybe we'll uh, rehash that argument uh, uh, before the new before the year's end. But anyway, yes. Um, so yes, uh, we are sort of into the real uh, middle of the story, uh, real meat of the story with uh, you know what the um, uh, what the mercenaries want, and then uh, you know it's uh, sort of. Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that was, uh, you know, supposed to fund, uh, you know, uh, Middle Eastern wars. Um, but uh, it's been pointed out, yeah, that it doesn't just reference sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, OG, you know, Die Hard, this references, you know, definitely Die Hard too. Yeah, that, I was, yeah, I, I also picked up on that, especially with the uh, the ski, the, the ski mobile chase. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a direct sort of uh, parallel there. Um, so yeah, I, they're, uh, you know, they're putting it uh, free and easy with the, you know, the references, you know, they flat out just say, you know, uh, you know, as Mark pointed out, they flat out just say, you know, the Die Hard uh, DVD, right, uh, you know, right as he's trying to fight off one of the goons. Uh, but um, uh, they, there's, there, there's enough here where there's enough of the, uh, you know, filmmaker's own voice that it's not just, you know, you know, it's like with uh, Tarantino, you know, he's playing it free and easy always with his references and, you know, the movies that made him, but uh, he adds his own sort of spin to things. And I, that's uh, thankfully apparent here with uh, uh, the, the filmmakers for this one. Yeah. One of the things, you know, I like um, typically Christmas movies, right is um you know uh the spirit of christmas and uh goodwill of men and all that kind of stuff like that there right but in this film it kind of uh it kind of gives you it it it, it questions things you know what i'm saying like um you know uh consumerism and and how um Kids are spoiled nowadays, and 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 so there's some there's a cynical uh, part of it that usually isn't in uh, you know Christmas. I mean, you have Scrooge and everything like that, but it's cynical in a way where it's kind of like um, it's challenging people to you know um, to kind of, to, to 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 you know to look at things. But it's it's like usually it's it's thrown at the antagonist, but here it's like you have kind of like a, I don't know if you would call him antihero or what, but um you you have you know you have you know you have all these bad guys and everything like that, but you just have the everyday average person also have those qualities about them too in terms of you know um kind of like, I guess, you know, there's, I guess this question of, you know, this, well, I know we harp on, you know, the younger generation and everything like that, 
but you have, you know, you have the adults, you know, behaving badly and, you know, in terms of the matriarch and so on and so forth. So this is the, and then you have uh, John like Zamo's character is obviously the villain that being, but um, also too, we're pointing out, we're not letting off the hook, you know, just the everyday average person, you know, um, with, you know, with the, you know, question about, you know, not, Kind of like, uh, you know, all they care about is just these uh, minor things in life, like, you know, like the consumer goods, like your iPods and your iPhones and all this kind of stuff. So I think they're kind of like not letting everybody off the hook. It's like you're not just harping on just the obvious, you know, villains and so on and so forth. But it's like everybody, you know, should um, think about kind of like you know what I'm saying like the every everyday person is like you know I should think about you know um things that's beyond that yeah I, I like the themes of uh of greed I know one of you gentlemen mentioned the the whole idea of the heist and you know that money, that money transferring transferring three times um I do remember like again I hate going back to Die Hard that the amount of money that um Hans Gruber was trying to steal. I want to say that might have been the exact same amount or pretty close to the same amount. But um, there was an element, and this is why I mentioned that foreshadowing. I wish I had to listen more closely to the the sons, uh, son of Beverly, the son of Beverly D'Angelo. I wish I had to listen to his dialogue more closely, just to get a a better feel for his motivation. You know, it was there, but I just know I didn't. I didn't really like listen closely to just hear. Um, but there was a moment where I kind of knew um, he wasn't as, as unknowing as it seemed. I just didn't really, you know, didn't know the level, the level of his involvement and in everything that took place in the story. But, you know, the whole idea of greed and, you know, what it leads to and how it, you know, has made, you know, adults, cynical and i guess you could say that that has translated to the children's lack of belief or lack of innocence you know however you want to see that but i definitely appreciate you guys pointing that out yeah and and, and the kid represents what i was just talking about so like every aspect of you know cynicism is kind of like uh being represented from the um Overly, I guess uh, Jeff mentioned about overly, you know, privileged, you know, adults, you know, you have people uh, uh, greedy for power and stuff like that. That's being represented. The young generation is being represented. Then you have uh, the little girl. She hasn't been tainted yet. So it's like we have to save her, you know what I'm saying, to uh, hopefully some of her childlike innocence can um, kind of like save the day so because like at the end um people's like i believe i believe it's kind of like that that was that was you know embodied in that that girl that that child like innocence that gets lost once you become a teenager and then you know uh all the way to you know your grown woman like the like i said the, the matriarch and then you have john like Uzamo, he got tainted when he was because he kept having these cheesy exposition scenes that were kind of cringy, but you get away with it because the movie's so entertaining, so you kind of forgive it. 
and he got tainted at that um, age uh, from the, the stories he was telling. And you'll see, you know, where he ended up uh, becoming later on. So, yeah. I want to point out something that was comical too. The whole, the whole naughty list, naughty versus nice list. Go ahead, Mark. No, no, I was going to say, you know, what we kind of already touched upon, which is as much as it's this kind of irreverent take on, on Santa Claus and Christmas and uh, Santa's jaded and, and people, you know, have lost innocence and the, everyone is devoid of the spirit of Christmas. It ends, you know, with the spirit of Christmas um, fully realized as folks believing in the, in Santa Claus, very, very spirit of the season of, 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 uh, you know, the jolly old elf, um, believing that he is real and exists and is there to, 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 I guess, as you just mentioned, Donald, reward the, the nice and, uh, punish in some ways, uh, the naughty. So as much as this is unconventional and irreverent, it ends on a note that yes, uh, Santa's real. And it makes sense to sacrifice, you know, these material wants, the money, um, for the betterment of mankind or Santa kind. Yeah, you made me think of the resolution of the film. I didn't know. I don't know if we want to jump that far ahead, just you know, in the discussion. But um, you know, there, there was one the grandson character. We talked about being jaded. I think the grandson character. I, I want to say he's got to be a teenager, like high school age, and. You know, he's walking around, you know, with his social media profile. He's doing, I guess, doing live videos. You know, just interesting, like, the, the use of those characters. Um, also, one thing I noticed at the point of resolution is certain certain characters, you know, films like this, how do, how do films like this handle death? You know, death of certain characters. I think that, you know, again, without, you know, spoiling it for someone that maybe haven't watched it, you know, the way that they, you know, that was handled, I thought was, was pretty unique in one sense. And, um, kind of, I don't want to call it a cliche, but in some ways, once, once it played out, I thought to myself that that was, you know, something we've seen before, um, you know, typically with, with nondescript characters, you know, being fodder for, for execution, so to speak. So, yeah, we do get sort of a standout, uh, sort of, uh, you know, the, Santa Claus, no holds bar sort of fight in this, um, in this shed with, uh, you know, the, the strike team that, you know, of course, uh, turns on, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the light, uh, Lightstone family. Uh, but, um, yeah, and it is, yeah, it, you know, it's the first time, you know, Santa throws down, you know, really, uh, you know, the first few fights that he has, he's kind of either overmatched or he kind of, uh, um, he kind of wins by sort of, uh, almost, um, not you know slapsticky sort of way, but uh, not in a way that he intended. But let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, so finally, you know, we get and we we also get. The, I think somebody mentioned sort of like the you know the Viking past or the Viking sort of Norse uh, mythology that they're sort of drawing on for this version of Santa, and we get sort of uh, quick flashbacks of him, you know. Uh, you know, on a battlefield somewhere, you know, sometime long in the past. And, uh, you know, uh, and he draws on that and, uh, you know, in order to take out the, uh, the strike team that has, um, unfortunately crossed paths uh, with uh, Santa Claus at the wrong time. But, um, uh, we, yeah, we, so we're sort of getting more into sort of, uh, the, um, 
the ending and sort of a lead up. Uh, uh, but um, I will say, yeah, I, and somebody mentioned it also uh, that, um, you know, the, I think it was Kenyatta that said, uh, you know, the, some of the exposition that uh, John Leguizamo has to you know dish out is sort of, uh, yeah, cringy and not exactly, you know, um, you know, it's the, you know, it's the t- typical exposition dump, but it's not dressed up in any sort of a way that to really, uh, that really feels like it's part of, you know, if it really feels germane or, or part of this character. And uh, that is, uh, I think, a, a huge weak point for me is that, uh, yeah, the villains are, you know, by and large, you know, cannon father. I, I think someone else mentioned that, um, you know, they're not, you know, Hans Gruber, you know, this, you know, uber slick, you know, the, you know, European, you know, uh, uh, criminal that's, uh, you know, out there. He'll, he can either kill you or he'll charm you, uh, you know, as uh, Alan Rickman could uh, really only do um and unfortunately that's that's just not here and you know i guess that that's not really the that wasn't really the filmmaker's intent and you know again that would draw i guess more parallels to die hard than they've already done but it would have been nice you know john was almost a capable performer but here he's really just uh you know spouting a lot of uh uh, you know, spending a lot of one-liners and catchphrases that, well, not catchphrases, but, you know, yeah, exposition that really doesn't feel like um, menacing. And, you know, some of his, um, some of the mercenaries that he has are much more, you know, menacing than him. Uh, that it would have been nice if they had uh, sort of uh, uh, turned on John Leguizamo in the middle of the day and they just have somebody else sort of take the reins. Uh, you know, in order to give us some a little bit more, you know, a formidable opponent, but uh, and uh, but uh, you know, that's uh, that's me just sort of uh, reviewing a movie in my head rather than what's on the screen. But uh, it's just something I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, Legolasmo has like the typical this bad guy line. It's like he, I, they 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 mailed that one in in terms of the dialogue for him. You could kind of substitute whatever he said in, for any other you know lines from any other movie similar to that. There's nothing unique about it. There's nothing, as you mentioned, slick. Gruber, he had a, he Hans was a certain character who um, was one of my favorite villains of all time because he was not just slick. He's slick. He's intelligent. He could um, kind of he at one point he kind of uh, morphed himself into a different character. He's feigning as if he's a worker there, and because he was that slick because he was that adaptable that made him a lot much a lot more um, um menacing frightening um and a worthy kind of uh uh opponent for the um john mcclain character right so i just didn't see that i mean I, they tried to make i, I guess legozamo into this, this uh villain but he's a villain only because Somebody has to be, <laughs> and his name is Crude, so I guess he's the main one. He's, a, he's the actor that most folks know uh, in terms of the, the crew that are opposing Santa, so I guess he's the, the, the natural uh, uh, villain here. And, you know, even, like, some of his henchmen, like, one of the, that's the main henchman who's there uh, in the living room, whatever, with the family, um, has got, while well, he's got the weapon and he's, he wants, he's eager to use it, and we even talk about him being a sociopath or whatever, He's kind of like a stoogish sociopath. He's not kind of silly or funny about it. He's not menacing either. So was, was, there needs to be a real, I think, menacing bad character. I think this is where the mashup uh, didn't really serve it well because you didn't have that. Um, but 
maybe I'm maybe it's just me, but I just thought this needed to be a, no. a real true baddie. Yeah, I think I think it's not just you. I think if we were to point out any weaknesses or the main flaws or you know, what would have prevented that movie from being a 10 out of 10 or something that, like that would be the, the characterizations of the villains. And hearing you guys um, also reminded me, my classroom Friday, we watched Home Alone, the first one, um, for a couple of couple of minutes. And um, I forgot the two characters' name. I don't know if it was Marvin, Harry, or something like that. The kids kept calling them the wet something bandits. I, I, I forgot what those those characters in Home Alone called themselves. But referencing Home Alone, the villains in Violent Night were more Home Alone-ish than Die Hard-ish. Definitely. Definitely. They borrowed too much from that end for, for the villains, um, which is something I, I've said it before. I don't want to like beat a dead horse, but... It's the very reason why, and I know that Kenyatta referenced superhero movies before as well, but it's the reason why in certain superhero movies, I'm not as into what's going on because the actual villains are cartoonish or goofy or the way that the, the superheroes interact with them shows that they don't have much respect for the, for, for the, the, um, the menace of this villain. Um, I'm going to think uh, about the Guardian of the Galaxy movies. Even when faced with peril, there's always jokes. And I guess that's something that's happening a lot more in superhero genre now is, you know, jokes in the face of, you know, a dire situation. But um, I think I'm hoping that trend ends pretty soon in terms of jokes um, in the face of something that, that's, that's menacing because it tell, tells the audience, that, well, maybe this is not uh, a formidable opponent. This is just somebody I can I can laugh at, and jokes do have a place in in movies and in the masters as well. But when you're faced with that kind of critical moment and this, this baddies in front of you, this is the final battle or this is the the final conflict. To have jokes, I think, diminishes it. Just think about Die Hard when you know at the very end, Hans Gruber is in the place um, where um, the executive suite or whatever. And here is John McClane after a full movie of being battle tested and being worn out. His wife is there. They finally meet up and everything. It's, there's not a, it's not supposed to be funny. It's not a joke. There are jokes throughout the movie, but in this situation, no, it's not time to joke. And I think that's what this movie and other movies like it lack is when they have a, that conflict, you can't have the joke there. The joke doesn't belong in that space. Yeah, so so you pick and choose your spots. Like, like you said, there were plenty of places where there's you know there's uh places where you laugh but that doesn't mean it's like you take you, you know you take up too much you know opportunity too many opportunities but uh, sometimes you gotta you know um i think it was thor the uh the second one no was it no the third one um ragnarok when at the very end when their um, planet blew up and then somebody cracked a joke. And it's like, no, that's not a place to, to, to okay, there was comedy throughout the whole movie. Why, that's, that wasn't a place for the joke. It's kind of like, I just saw Avatar, I rewatched Avatar recently when the, um, the tree, when they blew up the tree, all that devastation, you know, this movie's 13 years old, 
if if it will be made today, what will no what imagine how it would feel somebody do a joke in there after the tree blows up. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's it's completely yeah, it's, it's just uh, to me it diminishes uh you know, parts of the movie where it should you know, where where um it shouldn't be. So well, it's, it's, it's humor. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's insulting, I think, to the audience because we're we're kind of hinging, you know, on oh no, this dangerous, this terrible thing's gonna happen. And if the characters that are involved aren't taking it as seriously as we are, it's like what what was that all about, right? What was that kind of investment about? If you know the, the tree is blown up and they crack a joke, it's like, well, that means then we went through all this emotional stuff about the survival of this group of people and their habitat and invested all this time, it's three hours plus into it, and all you can have a joke at the end. You're going to crack a joke, you know, say, ha-ha, you guys were invested in this. We're not as invested as you are because we're cracking the joke. And that's what it means, like, in these movies, too, where, you know, um, you're really hoping, maybe you're not hoping that the family <laughs> survives the night with the, the uh, invaders, Maybe that's maybe that's the point. Maybe it's like nobody's free of flaw, and everybody's you know, greedy. And it, save for the little girl Trudy, you know, everybody you know has something. Well, I guess mom too. Her mom doesn't really have the flaw uh, of greed, but everybody else does, right? So maybe you shouldn't really care if folks live or die, or if this is a serious situation because you haven't really invested. Um, I guess your desire to see them survive based upon the goodness of their character. Just that they're inhabiting these roles of, you know, here's the protagonist or whatever versus the antagonist. So maybe maybe, it is, maybe as much as I don't like the the, the jokes at critical moments, maybe it's appropriate uh, because if you've not invested anything in the characters in terms of you know their survival and what it means to you, um, then maybe you can take it lightly. I guess that's what the idea is. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 no, I do agree with you. I, critical moments, I think, you don't always have to throw a joke in there. It's like you have to trust. You know what I mean? Um, it's like it almost feels like you're just throwing a joke in there for the sake of the audience when you're doing it. Actually, ends up being the opposite. So I, I agree with you. I do want to end that trend. Um, just trust that. Okay, fine. You have. To humorous parts, trust that it's, it, it works. And there was a movie uh, not too long ago where everything was an appropriate play. I'll try to think of the name of the movie. If I, if I remember before we end out, I'll, I'll mention it. But it did a, a very good job at um, putting jokes at the right places and not putting it in the wrong places. So, so I hope I hope you know just filmmakers, creators. They, they get better at that. So I'm, I'm going to give an example of what I think is the, the appropriate placement of a joke and it really works and it's iconic in this you know, little scene. And we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about Die Hard again. So John McClane, he's in the, in the throes of all this madness happening in the Nakatomi Tower and he's forced down the elevator shaft and he's crawling in that, that vent and he has this, you know, <laughs> lighter. He lights it up and he looks at the, down at the, the shaft or the, the, the HV uh, vent or whatever. He says, he, he just kind of mumbles to himself, you know, come to the coast and have a few laughs. He's talking about, you know, the wife inviting him out to, 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 to have Christmas there. And he's like, basically, he's saying, Dan, you got me caught up in this mess, right? And the, the audience laughs basically at that line and it makes sense 
right? It, it's, it's funny for the audience. It makes me think somebody would say, like, yeah, I'm in peril. What you, what you got me into, right? And it's funny. And it doesn't take away from the danger. It doesn't kind of let the air out of the balloon in terms of tension. But it's just that, yeah, if I was in that spot, I'd be like pissed off at my ex-wife too if I had, if I had an ex-wife who put me in that position, right? And that's what we would think or say. And it's still funny. And it's still appropriate and doesn't break the tension. I agree a thousand percent. I often wonder when those, when those, like that moment that you just mentioned, Mark, I often wonder how much of that is improvised by the actor being allowed to utilize their humanity. Cause you said something about, you know, anybody would do that in that situation. So with these method actors, are they, are they channeling when they're, when they're, when they're filming those scenes, you know, and they're allowed to do that, you know, hopefully, you know, that's the case. You know, I know some screenwriters, are good enough to put that on script, but you know, there's, there's cases where I'm sure that the director, you know, allows the actors to, to have some leeway to bring some humanity to those moments because, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to nail that, to get that perfectly correct. And I think when that happens, you probably have a bit of, of, uh, uh, magic based on, um, thespians. Right, well, not to and then not to sort of again. I, I, yeah, we all had a good. It seems like we all had a good time with this, but also I'll also add in. Yeah, and this is also another sort of you know a problem you know akin to with superhero. I'm not exactly sure what uh, you know Santa Claus's uh, powers. Okay, thank you. All right. Uh, we'll try to wrap up, but I'll just, uh, okay. <laughs> Everyone needs to, uh, yeah, we've been talking about this for a good uh, hour. So yeah, we'll, but we'll wrap up, but I would, I'll just quickly say, uh, yeah, this is also sort of a, a little bit of a problem though, similar to a superheroes. I'm not entirely sure, like, you know, how powerful Santa is in this. It, you know, he does bleed, you know, he does show pain and anguish, but, uh, you know, he's been alive for, you know, uh, you know, thousands of years apparently. And, um, you know, but, um, and is it, he is able to, you know, transport around, you know, uh, you know, up chimneys and it, but, and, uh, so I'm not sure of like, uh, you know, how powerful he actually is. And I guess that's, that goes again to the, um, you know, the, the childhood belief in, uh, Santa being really his real superpower. And, uh, but, uh, again, there are some points in the movie I was, I was unclear as to, you know, how much danger he actually is in at this, uh, uh, at, uh from one moment to another. And, and I just thought of something too. I mean, um, uh... In terms of uh, that's that's I think that's a good point, and 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 because Santa Claus himself, you see how cynical it is about Christmas. Maybe he's in the shape he's in. He reminds you more of bad Santa than you know the Santa Claus and uh, other Christmas movies. You know, back in the day, um, maybe that kind of diminishes him his power because of the lack of uh, the true belief in Christmas. The, the true spirit, so maybe that kind of diminishes his powers a little bit. I don't, I don't know, man. This maybe I'm just thinking, overthinking it or what? Right, right. Yeah, I think he's the anti Pennywise, right? So fear generates uh, Pennywise. Christmas spirit generates or, or keeps alive Santa. And as folks lose their Christmas spirit, um, he loses his power. I, I guess he becomes more jaded. Maybe he realizes his days are numbered because people aren't believing in in, in him or the, the Christmas spirit as much. Okay, but people said they have to go. Yeah, we've been doing this for over an hour, but yeah, so uh, we can uh, yeah we can wrap this up and wind things down uh, on Violet Night and uh, you know uh, 
Don, the, the, uh, the usual way we do things is that uh, we give sort of a wrap up statement, uh, you know, of, of the overall feel we have uh, with the movie. And then we give sort of uh, movie recommendations. If you can think of them off the top of your head, uh, sort of uh, movies in a similar vein that uh, maybe people would uh, like to see, um, you know, after if they really enjoyed Violet Night. All right. I, I want to thank you guys for having me. And, um, you know, to the listeners that's considering Violet Night, I do think that it was extremely entertaining um again not not a film for the small children um you guys mentioned the word mashup you know it does remind me of uh several movies of similar genre but it's kind of kind of unique unique uh in its own right so i don't really want to compare it to any one film but definitely a, a a film that i walked out with a enormous smile on my face having um going through the two hour experience is well, well worth it. And I'll say, yeah, I'll second that. You know, if you want to have a good time, uh, go see this movie. Um, there's some bits of originality in terms of how Santa Claus, um, um, I guess, uses his technology from the Santa bag to the naughty and nice. This was kind of interesting and fun. Um, uh, the depictions of the, the baddies are pretty generic, but um, it's offset by at least the tone of this movie from the very beginning. Um, it's irreverent. Um, it's funny. Um, there's suspense. Um, and at the end, you know, somehow it still finds its way back to the spirit of Christmas, as many Christmas movies do. So definitely check this one out. Um, I'll go with the obvious uh, recommendation, uh, Bad Santa, where you have an irreverent um, kind of mall Santa. Um, Though this movie is supposed to be the real deal, the real St. Nick, um, there are similarities in terms of the, the alcohol usage um, and kind of jaded nature. But yeah, definitely check this one out if you can. Um, you'll avoid some of those lines to get into Avatar by going to see this one now, because I'm sure that's got all the ticket sales right now is Avatar. So um, I saw this in IMAX. I'm sure that's not going to be available anymore with uh, <laughs> Avatar, I'm sure, occupying that space. So I was able to squeeze it in there before Avatar got out. But uh, if you can see it in IMAX, why not? Um, again, it's an action movie um, that that thrills, and I was happy I, I, I spent my I guess two hours, hour and forty five minutes, whatever it was, in the theater to watch it. Go see it, folks. Yeah, and I also recommend it. And I think people who usually uh, don't watch violent movies will probably like it as well. So, like I said, this, you know, I could testify that my wife and uh, Donald also. Uh, could testify to that, and um, you know, uh, that the end up liking it as well. Um, yeah, it wasn't uh perfect, but I mean, but it was very entertaining, and it, it was it wasn't that long, and it's and it's like it give you a quick, you know, um, uh, uh you know, uh, entertaining time at you know at, at the movies. Uh, you don't feel. I mean, it whizzed by. It was just there, there was no boring parts or whatsoever, or whatever. But uh, in terms of movie recommendations, um, I, you know, uh, you know, Mark said Bad Santa, which I, I really like that part too. But the first one, and um, I will also say. The we we did mention um, Guardians of the Galaxy. They have a Christmas special on Disney Plus. I really really recommend that. I mean, what you know, this is December. This is the time of Christmas movies. So, and and um, I think that was like forty five minutes or so. Very 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 funny. 
and they also have violent parts as well. You know, but uh, that's on Disney Plus. That's the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. And um, I'm trying to think if there's anywhere else. Of course, a classic uh, uh, Black Christmas. Not not the remake, but the original one with uh, Margot Kidder in there. Uh, you know, uh, that's more horror, though. And of course, Die Hard, um, you know, part one and two. Um, I, I can't speak for the other ones. They were okay, but, you know, but the first two were probably the best one in the series. And I know this is probably a little bit different. It's not really Christmas movie. I, I just have to shout this out really quickly. Will Smith in Emancipation. Uh, you, you, have to, you, ha- you have to see this. Uh, Will Smith did a very good job. Antoine Fuqua did a very good job. Uh, uh, the cinematography was amazing. The acting was amazing. The director was amazing and everything like that. It's on uh, Apple TV. And um, not necessarily a Christmas movie, but I just had to give that a you know, special shout out. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, you have your It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, the many, many, many different versions of A Christmas Carol that for your, uh, you know, in-season programming, uh, movie watching. Uh, but yeah, if you're up for something a little bit more different, uh, a little bit more irreverent of the... Um, uh, of the holiday cheer and spirit, uh, yeah, Violet, you could do a lot worse than now, uh, Violet Night. Um, there's, uh, yeah, as we uh, hopefully we pointed out, yeah, just uh, the action and the humor, like, uh, are a great mashup, you know. Um, but you know, again, as we pointed out many times, you know, there uh, many homages and uh, you know, direct parallels to Die Hard, uh, the uh, throughout the entire fran- its franchise. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is, um, there's, uh, there's uh, enough, uh, you know, uh, thrills for your, uh, holiday season. And yeah, I'll, I'll also say if you were up for a little bit more on the much, much more, uh, horror side, uh, black Christmas, the original from 1974 is a definite recommendation. And, um, uh, there's, but uh, yeah, if you want to, you know, uh, you know, a, a sort of a different holiday watch for the this time of the year. Uh, yeah, again, uh, Violent Night is a, a sort of, uh, you know, make sure the uh, uh, younger kids are tucked into bed. You know, maybe they'll see it, you know, when it comes on to streaming, uh, you know, the, in the, in the in, uh, you know, future months down the road. But uh, yeah, definitely something that's, uh, you know, perfect in season. And there's one more movie recommendation that, um, the reason why I'm, uh, I'm recommending it is because it was also a surprise too, and I didn't think it was going to end up being as good as it was. It's called Better Watch Out. So um, that kind of reminded me of Violet Night, where you know, uh, you know, Violet usually, typically, you know, uh, Christmas movies is not supposed to be about violence and all that kind of stuff, unless you get to you know, um, Child's Play or something like that. But it is a horror film. I don't know if you consider it a horror film. Is that, is that a teen movie? Yeah, I saw before. Is that a teen based movie? Horror movie? Yeah, yeah. It's a babysitter. Yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't know if you consider that a horror movie or what, but um I guess you could watch it and you could you could you know, you could judge whether it is or not. But 
Uh, but it was actually, it was pretty good. It was actually surprising. I didn't really know where, where they were going with it. But um, I'm just, this is why I'm recommending it because it was, this reminds me of this film where you had this small film, then it had a lot of buzz. You know, it, it probably had trailers, but it, they didn't really go heavy with the trailers. And, and, and it just showed up and, you know, and it showed out. So uh, that's why I recommended that as well. Better watch out. We hope we made your nice list for this episode. Big thanks to Donald Smith for joining us as well. We extend a big thank you to all of you who gave us a listen in the past year. This is our last podcast of 22, so cue us up all next year for more movie discussions, reactions, and whatever the hell else we'd like to share our thoughts on. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and on the platforms. You can support this podcast in the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking on the support button at anchor.fm. You can join Kenyatta and I in our virtual screenwriters forums by RSVPing on meetup.com and our Facebook. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Links are in the description. All the best in your writing, watching movie and streaming shows, and taking care of one another.